Hey Alpine Church, my name is Scott Kreps and I'm a teaching pastor here at Alpine and I'm so excited to be with you today as we continue our series on chaos and how to understand what God is up to in the midst of chaos. And today we're going to see how chaos, if we allow chaos to work the way God wants in our lives, how chaos is actually going to bring us to faith. Now, as we get into this, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to think about your favorite sad song. Okay, now that's probably not what you were expecting for Sunday at church, but I want you to think for just a moment about your favorite sad song. Here's, here's kind of what I've realized. I've realized that some of the most meaningful songs that, that I can think of uh, tend to be sad songs. We all like happy songs. We all like those songs that we can play on a road trip when we're in our car and the sun is out. But sometimes those sad songs are the most meaningful and they, they make the biggest impact on us. For, for example, I just want to share a few sad songs that you might be familiar with. The first one, we're going to go back a few years. All right, this goes back a ways back. But it's a song by George Jones called He Stopped Loving Her Today. And the song is about this love, uh, this lost love that was finally once and forever lost the day the guy died. I know this is a really sad song, right? I warned you, sad song, but here are the lyrics. He stopped loving her today. They placed a wreath upon his door and soon they'll carry him away. He stopped loving her today. I mean, that's a powerful song, right? Now let's go a, a little more recent, recent history. REM song, Everybody Hurts. Even if you don't know that song, the title alone, Everybody Hurts, you kind of get what the song is all about. And if it's been a while, let me just remind you of the song. It says, when you're sure you've had enough of this life, well, hang on, don't let yourself go, because everybody cries and everybody hurts sometimes. Now, if you're a fan of The Office, when I was going over those lyrics, you probably remember Dwight sitting in his car, depressed because of how jealous he is of Ryan. That's a powerful moment, all right? But let's go even a, a little more to the recent past, and let's go to one of the saddest songs that I can think of, which is See You Again from Fast and Furious 7 by Charlie Puth and Wiz Khalifa, a song that's a tribute to the late actor Paul Walker. And of course, this is the, these are the lyrics. It's been a long day without you, my friend, and I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. Let me say this. If you got through the end of Fast and Furious 7 and you weren't in tears, I'm not sure if you have a heart, okay? I'm just going to put that out there. Now, sad songs are really powerful, right? And they're so powerful because, because we're emotional people. I don't care who you are and I don't care if you're like, no, I'm a very logical person. Beneath all that, you're a very emotional person. And sometimes it's hard for us to express our sad words. And so what do we do? We turn to music. We turn to song. And here's the thing, the Bible does the same thing. The Bible is actually filled with a number of sad songs or sad poems. That's how they certainly come across to us. They are sad poems. And I want to look at some of those sad poems with you today as we try to understand chaos and faith and how they relate to one another. You know, in the Bible, sometimes God's people write sad poems. They write about how messed up their lives are, how much injustice they feel, how depressed they are. Sometimes God writes sad poems and he writes them about how much he grieves over his people and their actions. And there's a whole book that's filled with sad poems and it's the book of Lamentations. 
A lamentation is an expression of sorrow or grief. In the book of Lamentations are five poems written by the prophet Jeremiah, as best as we can tell, written by Jeremiah. That's why the book of Lamentations comes right after the book of Jeremiah. And they are written about the fall of Jerusalem, the capital city of God's people. And these five poems are written after the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BC. And they deal with all the, the fear and the sorrow and the depression that God's people felt. And I think as we look at chaos and how to interpret chaos in our lives, it's really helpful us to turn to this book. So that's what I want to do with you today. I want to really dig into the message of Lamentations with you today. Because if at this point in your life, you feel sorrow, anxiety, if, if you have fear over the future, wherever you're at, whatever you're experiencing, I want you to see how God can speak to you through these sad songs, through these sad poems, through this book. Now, there's a few things we learn as we look at the book of Lamentation. And the first thing is this. God's at work in a world in ruins. Okay, even when the world is falling apart, God is still at work. Now, right now, what's going on in our world is the coronavirus crisis, right? That coronavirus uh, pandemic. And it's pretty amazing to see photos of places that are usually right, totally crowded, and now they're all emptied out. Whether it's a, a photo of downtown you know, Manhattan in the middle of the day and it's totally empty, or you, you look at empty sports stadiums or you know, national monuments or museums or national parks and they're closed and it's all empty and it's so weird, right, to see these photos of empty cities, empty spots that are usually filled with people, filled with tourists. Well, here's the thing. Those photos of like New York City, they look a lot like Jerusalem did when the book of Lamentations was written. Let, let me show you what I mean. In Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1, here's what we read. Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she is now a slave. Now, let me talk about what's going on in, uh, in Jeremiah's day, in the people of Israel's day. What has just happened is that their enemies have come in and conquered the land. That's what it says here. The Jerusalem, notice, it's kind of like our world right now. Once so full of people, right? The city was, was filled with people. There were religious festivals going on. Verse 4, now there's no more religious festivals. All these things that are happened. Uh, verse 6 tells us the majesty of Jerusalem has been stripped away away and all that's left is this this empty city what the city that was once great among the nations now it's like a widow she is now a slave and that's because a lot of bad stuff's been going on in Israel in fact for hundreds of years God's people have been going astray they had been walking away from him and as a result this they were in this moment that was like the end of their civilization what I mean is the monarchy was was toppled. Princes were either killed or they were drug off into exile to Babylon. The prophets, the priests, especially were silenced or they were crooked. Um, economically, the country was devastated. The people are in slavery. The temple was destroyed. 
And so what you can imagine right now is Jerusalem, the city of God, Zion, is devastated. It's a world in ruins. And we can look and see a little bit more about this in verse 5, why this has happened. Her oppressors have become her masters and her enemies prosper for the Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. Notice what's gone on here. It's not like there was just some natural disaster that occurred. No, Babylon, the foreign enemies have come to Jerusalem and they've destroyed it. They've destroyed every part of the people, every part of the city and God's enemies prosper. But notice why has this happened? For the Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. The prophet doesn't let people think that this was an accident or this was out of God's control. No, God is the one behind all of this destruction, everything that's happened. Now, let me explain kind of the context for this, because this seems pretty shocking, right, that God would allow this to happen. You see, God had made a covenant, an agreement with his people, with the Israelite people, and God said, if you trust me, if you follow me, I will bless you. If you follow my law, I will bless you. But if you fail to follow my law, I will curse you. And the cursing eventually would lead to the point where God's people were put into exile. They were taken from their homeland. And that's what's happened because for hundreds of years, up to this point in the story of the Bible, for hundreds of years, God's people have pretty consistently said no to him. They said, no, God, uh, we're not going to follow you. We're not going to worship you. They've, they've worshiped other gods. They've worshiped idols. And as a result, God has allowed foreign peoples to come in and take over the land and to drag the people off into exile. Now, this might seem like a really harsh punishment that God has brought into Israel, but what we see as we read the Bible is that this is actually for the good of the people. This is actually a gracious thing that God has done, and here's why. Because if God had just let the people go on as they were, pretty soon they would have been like all the other nations around them. They would have been just as godless as the Babylonians, just as godless as, as, as the Philistines, just as godless as the Assyrians. And God didn't want that for his people. And so the only way he could get their attention and to wake them up was to allow the Babylonians to drag them off into exile because finally they might wake up and repent and turn back to him. And so what the prophet wants the people to understand is that when Israel falls, it is God's doing and it's a punishment for the people's sins. Now, how are we supposed to think about this today? One thing that we should understand is that all of the evil that we experience in the world, all of the destruction and devastation that we experience in the world is a result of human sinfulness, right? That's kind of the other major part of this first point here is that God is at work in a world of ruins, but also that all the bad stuff of life, ultimately you can trace back to human sinfulness, because the Bible says that when God created the world, God created the world good. God created the world without sin. But in Genesis 3, we find that humans brought sin into the world. And because we brought sin into the world, we brought death into the world and destruction into the world. And so whatever it is, whether it's evil things like murder and violence, or whether it's something like disease, all of it, even natural disasters, can be traced back to human sinfulness. And so if you want to know who is ultimately responsible for the destruction in the world, it's us. It's people. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. The world that we live in is not the world that God intended. 
God intended a much better creation, but we messed it up. Now let's get a little more specific. So who's to blame for the coronavirus? Who's to blame for a pandemic? Who's to blame for a tsunami? Who's to blame for a destructive earthquake? Well, here's where we have to depart a little bit from ancient Israel. Because God made it really clear that ancient Israel was responsible for their own exile, right? We don't have that kind of clarity today. We can't say, well, this, this problem in the world is because of this person's sin or this nation's sin. The clearest thing we can say is we can step back and say all destruction, all pain, all sorrow is a result of human sinfulness. And so as we think about, you know, living in a fallen world, we have to understand that this isn't the world that God intended, but it's the world that God is going to stay committed to and stay working in because God is at work in a world in ruins. And so I think that suffering, times of suffering, times of sorrow, whether it's on a you know, community scale like we've been experiencing or whether it's on a very personal scale, is an opportunity for God to get our attention and God to say, hey, I'm not leaving. I haven't abandoned you. I'm still here and I still want to help you. Because that's what God is saying to us in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering. God says, I still want to help you. And sometimes the, the sorrows and the pain of life can just get our attention, right? I mean, how many of us thought a couple months ago, how many, of, how many of us thought like, oh yeah, Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NCAA tournament could all just go away, just like that, right? I don't think any of us did. How many of us ever thought that our schools would just shut down and our kids would all be homeschooled, right? Not, none of us saw that coming, right? How many of us thought that restaurants would be closed and you couldn't go out to eat and there'd be so many layoffs and so much unemployment? Like, we didn't see that coming, but here's the thing God did. And God is always at work in a world of ruins, even though we mess it up. And again, I'm not blaming any one person or any one group for the calamity we experience now because we don't have that sort of clarity. But what we can say is we collectively as humans, we've fallen short of God's standard. We've brought sin into the world, but God is still at work in the midst of that sin. So that's the first thing to understand in the book of Lamentations. But I want to make this a bit more personal because that's sort of the kind of big picture aspect of all this. Let's make it a little more intimate and, and a little more personal. And the next thing to understand is that a time of chaos is a time for self-assessment. A time of chaos is a time of self-assessment. It's time to search and decide if you need to repent. And I'll explain what that means in just a moment. Now, in a time of crisis, there's a lot of different ways to respond, isn't there? In, a, in the coronavirus, there's a lot of different ways to respond. One way to respond is to turn to Netflix. And a lot of us have, right? right? We've, we've like, I need a break from all this. I need to just watch some television, okay? And that's not necessarily a terrible thing. But you can turn to Netflix. You can turn to thinking of all the things you've missed out on. Vacations, time with your grandchildren, concerts, sporting events, the freedom you used to have. You can get bitter, I'm certain that there were people in ancient Israel who grew bitter about their circumstances, bitter about the loss of their homes, bitter about the loss of loved ones. And that can certainly happen. But what does God want us to do in the midst of these kinds of circumstances, these kinds of trials? We find out in Lamentations chapter 3. It says, does not the Most High, that's God, does not the Most High send both calamity and good? then why should we, mere humans, complain when we are punished for our sins? Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. 
You see what this is saying is, it's saying that God sends both good things and difficult things into our lives. And here's the reality. When God sends something good into our lives, we're like, yes, Lord, thank you. Yes, this is great. I want more of this. And when God allows bad things to come into our lives, we tend to say, how dare you? What gives you the right? (laughs) I don't deserve this. Rarely do good things come into our lives and we say, I don't deserve this good thing, Lord. No, we tend to say, uh, yeah, I kind of do deserve it. Even if we don't say that, we tend to think it. But what this passage reminds us is that God allows good things into our lives and he also allows difficult things into our lives and he does that to discipline us, to form us, to shape us, to change us. And so a time of suffering is a time to test and examine our ways and to turn back to the Lord wherever we need to. This is the language of repentance. In the Bible, to repent means to turn around. Like you're going one direction, you're going away, one way, you're going away, uh, in a way, away from God, and to repent is to turn around. And then you start going the other direction, back towards God. That's called the fruit of repentance. And the Bible says that suffering is a wonderful time for us to really examine, do I need to repent? Is there something I need to change in my own life, in my own heart? Because sometimes we're going the wrong way and we need to turn around. Just last week, I took my kids, my wife, we went hiking. I got four kids, ages seven to 12. We like to go hiking. Well, my wife and I like to go hiking. We make them come with us. But so anyway, we're hiking and I was like, hey guys, do you wanna, do you wanna go find this abandoned hunter's cabin? Up on the mountain, there was this abandoned hunter's cabin. And I was like, let's go hike up to it. And there was no real clear trail up there. Like uh, it was kind of like off a main trail, but there was like a little, there was like the, a little way to get up there. And so I found this article that showed how to find this hunter's cabin. And uh, it was, I'll be honest with you, it was kind of a long article. So I skimmed it, but I kind of thought I had the gist of it. And so the six of us, we go on this hike and we're on the main trail and we turn off and we go on this trail that you can barely tell that it's a trail because it's kind of overgrown and the bushes and the trees have grown over the trail. And it's like, you know, normally when you hike up a mountain, you kind of have like either a nice leisurely way you get up or you have some switchbacks. This was like uphill, man. This was just like straight uphill. This is like you're at the gym and you put the stair machine up to full blast. That's what this was like. And so we're going up the hill and we're hiking and and like our legs are getting cut up and we're going deeper into the forest. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but the deeper you go into the forest, the bigger the bugs get. And it's like all of a sudden the horses, the the flies are like horse flies and the, the wasps are like dinosaur era wasps. And it's just kind of like all a big mess. And we're walking and the, the ground's real, like the, the soil's real loose. And we take a break and I turn around and I look at my family and I look at my wife and I can tell it is time to repent, okay? It's time to turn around. This is not worth it. We are not going in the right direction. And so I've been married long enough. I've had kids long enough. I'm a little wiser than I used to be. And I, we turned around and we just, we, we decided to find the cabin another day. But that's a little bit what repentance is like, where you're going one way and you recognize you're going the wrong way and you need to stop and you need to turn around and you need to come back towards God. And I think this time is a great time to repent. There's a lot of, lot of ways that you can recognize that you need to repent and need to turn back to God. Sometimes you might be praying and God just kind of reminds you of something that's going on in your life right now. And, he's, and he says to you, you know, that shouldn't be there. You need to repent. You need to turn back to me. 
Or, you know, maybe you're reading the Bible and you read something in the Bible, something like this, that kind of convicts you and, and you realize, I need to repent. Or, or maybe sometimes a friend lovingly comes to you and says, hey, I see you doing this thing in your life. God doesn't want you to have that in your life. You need to turn back to him. That can be a painful moment, but that can also be a really helpful moment. And so I think, as you think about this time we find ourselves in, this coronavirus time, I think a lot of us, we have a little more time on our hands. Now, again, I got four kids at home, so I understand it's not like we have tons of downtime at home, but a lot of our schedules have a lot more space in it than normal. And I would hate for us to leave this time of suffering, of difficulty, of challenge, and this time of just sort of taking a break from a lot of things and not really reconcile where we're at with God. Here, here's the thing, some of you today, you're here at Alpine and you're here because you're trying to figure out who God is. You're trying to figure out who he is and, and what he wants from you and maybe how to have a relationship with him. And if that's you, we're so glad you're here. Some of you, maybe you're here and you've been at Alpine for a while, but may, or maybe you've, you were here for a while and then you've left. Now you've kind of come back. We're glad you've come back. And maybe this is the season that God's trying to bring you back into a relationship with him. Or maybe you're an Alpiner and you're here every week and you've got the Alpine t-shirt and everything. But maybe God is trying to tell you there's something in your life that needs to change. There's some area in your life where you need to repent and you need to come back to God. This is why it's so valuable to have a mentor in your life. So valuable to have someone in your life who can encourage you to come back to God. I can tell you that even the last few weeks, I've talked with some of the people that I mentor, some of the guys I mentor, and they've just been honest and said, you know, it's been really hard to read my Bible and to pray during this time because my schedule's just all messed up. And, you know, I, what I've told them, I haven't told them, oh, man, you've disappointed me <laughs> because I'm your mentor and you told me you're going to read the Bible every day and you're not doing it. That's, that's not what a mentor does. Instead, I've just tried to encourage them and say, hey, this is a great gift that God has given all of us to take stock of our lives and take stock of our relationship with him and to turn back to him in any area of life where we need to turn back to him. And so, you know, ask God to give you that desire to get into his word and to read his word and to pray and to join an online small group or to have a mentor, you know, go to pursuegod.org and, and, and look at some of those resources on how to read the Bible or, or, or start a Bible reading plan. Because here's the thing, one day all of this is going to end, and, and by all of this, I don't mean like our lives, although that is true, but I mean like all the coronavirus stuff, it's all going to end one day. And you're going to be really tempted to go back to life as normal. Sports are going to start again. School's going to start again. Amen to that, parents, right? Like all that's going to come back. And it's going to be tempting to go back to life as normal. Don't do that. Instead, let God change you now. Show, let God show you where you need to, to repent and come back to him and follow him in that direction. And with that in mind, there's just one more lesson I want us to take away today from the book of Lamentations, and that's that in chaos, we need a big view of God because he's our only source of hope. In times of chaos, we need to have a bigger picture of God. We need a robust view of God. We need more of God and less of ourselves. We need more Jesus and less Netflix. More hope in God and less excitement for Disney Plus is what I'm getting at, okay? We need more God because that's what Israel realized. That's what Jeremiah realized. He needed and the people needed more God, even in the midst of their suffering. And so in the midst of all the junk of their lives and exile and loss and pain and death and violence, in the midst of all of that, look at what Jeremiah is able to say. 
The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Look at what it says there, the faithful love of the Lord. Those words, the faithful love, that refers to God's covenant love. That is God's choosing love, that God chooses to love you in Christ, not because you're worthy, not because you've done anything to deserve his love, but because he loves you that much. That's God's faithful love, his covenant love to you. It never ends. His mercies never cease. His mercies begin afresh each morning. In the midst of of the violence of his world, the prophet was able to say, God's mercies are new. God relates to you and me in Christ through mercy and compassion. The number one word that is used in the Bible to describe Jesus's emotional life is compassion. God is a God of compassion. No matter who you are, you can turn to him and experience mercy. That's so comforting for me. It's so comforting for me. I hope it's comforting for you too. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That means that God's going to do everything he promises to do. The Lord is my inheritance. He's the one I put my hope in, not my bank account, not my retirement account that's going down, not my job security. It's God. I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. That's the message. That's the hope. To wait patiently for God to save you. Now, how is God going to save us? The Bible tells us. The Bible gives us the full, clear answer to that in the New Testament. The Bible says that here's the thing about our sin. It's too great. It's too massive. Our sin separates us from God. And so we need something more than exile to rescue us from our sin, more than just sort of being disciplined. We need God to come into our lives and deal with our sin. And so that's what happened. Jesus Christ, the son of God, God himself came to this earth. He lived a sinless life and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins because we couldn't. We couldn't pay the penalty for our sins. We couldn't pay back God for all the things we've done wrong, all the ways we've messed up. We couldn't do that on our own. So Jesus did it for us. And the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. And we know that that's exactly why he died on the cross because he didn't stay dead, but three days later he was raised from the dead. And we know that God accepted his sacrifice. And the Bible says, if you trust in him, if you put your faith in him, if you believe in him as your savior for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be saved. And no matter how long your suffering lasts, in the end, in eternity, you'll be with God and his people forever. And so I want to invite you today that that can be your hope, that God is bigger than whatever your chaos is, and that he can be your inheritance when you trust in him. Here's the thing. Suffering isn't going to last forever. Suffering isn't the final say. As it says in Lamentations, God's mercies are new every morning. Do you believe that? If so, then no matter what's going on in your life, you need to ask yourself, do I trust in God? Am I going to hold on to him no matter what happens? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you speak to us in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our shame. God, I pray that you would be with those who are hurting today. I pray that you would be with those who uh, have suffered loss. I pray that they would see that you offer them a greater hope, a greater inheritance in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that you would reveal to us those areas where we need to come back to you.
where we need to change, where we need to repent. Lord, as we have a greater, greater understanding of your mercy and grace in our lives, help us to allow you to transform us and change us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.